Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, November 17th. Now, on yesterday's show with Nate Walrith and throughout the course of this week's Mini Break podcast episodes, I've introduced a new rule onto this podcast. We'll call it the Kiss the Ring Corollary. What does that mean? It means anytime one of the, dare I say, greatest of all time candidates, the Serena Williams, Roger Federer's, Rafael Nadal's, Novak Djokovic's of the world are playing a significant match, I want to lead this show with that result. And of course, this week at the ATP Tour Finals, we have both Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal competing. I have led every day's podcast so far this week with a report on each of their results. That said, I also need to introduce the get back to your roots corollary to all of you listeners. What do I mean by that? Well, longtime Cracked Rackets listeners will know when we first started podcasting back in 2017, much of what we did was monitoring the rise of the young Americans. Who are those young Americans? I refer to them, of course, as the OGs, the Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, Tommy Paul, Stefan Kozlov, Francis Tiafo, Michael Moe, Noah Rubin, Jared Donaldson, Ernesto Escobedo, group of players, those 96s to 98s who were experiencing all sorts of successes, whether it be at the junior level, the challenger level, or ultimately the ATP level. We were monitoring their progress week in, week out, and certainly at the time, you can go check the tape. It felt like because American men's tennis was going to have so many bites at the apple that one of these players had to break through, right? If you're the best of your peers in the juniors, certainly the percentages feel a little bit higher that maybe you're not going to be the very best tennis player in the world, but you're just going to be in the mix moving forward. And after Thursday, we have an American man still in the mix entering championship weekend in what is a ostensibly the final weekend of the 2022 ATP season. And once again, it's Taylor Fritz, who with his three-set victory over Felix Ogier-Aliassime today, qualifies for the ATP Tour Finals Championship weekend. Now, it's going to be tough. He already has a win over Rafa. He's going to have to beat Novak Djokovic in the semifinals, but it's time to celebrate that here at Cracked Rackets. We had Francis Tiafo in the U.S. Open semifinals. Now we have Fritz in the ATP Tour Finals semifinals. Talk about a mouthful. Of course, Fritz also won an Indian Wells title earlier this season, and I don't think I have to run through all the Americans, but from Taylor all the way through to Brandon Nakashima at number 49, there are a plethora of American men inside the top 50 who you just feel like are going to be 
in the mix moving forward. Maybe not necessarily Grand Slam champions, but at least one, two Americans, maybe even more in the second week of just about every slam moving forward. I don't want to say it's a likelihood, but it's very much a possibility when you look at the outlook for American men's tennis. And certainly I already have that on my list as a November, late November, I should say, early December podcast for us here this offseason. Where does American men's tennis go from here? But I know we're four minutes into the intro. I think it's pretty clear. I have to lead today's show with Taylor Fritz because he was exceptional in his 766-762 victory over FAA from just his ability to be so poised on serve. I mean, he goes unbroken in the match. And maybe even beyond that, it was how clean a look he was getting on every return of serve. Now, I'm not saying Felix didn't have success on serve because there wasn't a break in this match until set number three, but Taylor made Felix work for everything today. And I want to explore that and, again, continue to explore why when you're looking for Taylor Fritz, I don't know what's left to question about his upside moving forward. It's the same things we've said now for five years, and yet he continues to get better on the margins each and every season. And now it it feels like he's very close, if not to, uh, to hitting his ceiling, to being this guy who you probably have to put in maybe tier two at the worst, you know. Tier three at the worst, certainly, but maybe he's a tier two guy moving forward. Maybe that's what the next five years looks like for Taylor Fritz, just constantly in that eight to 15 positioning in the ATP Tour rankings. Fritz was excellent in his three-set win. Want to break it down today. Of course, we did have one of the headliners on court as well. Rafa is not leaving Turin. Winless ultimately earns a five and five victory over Casper Ruud. Now, There's not much analysis, in my opinion, that goes into that match. How do you think Rafa attacked Kasper Ruud? Oh, you think he hit heavy to the Kasper backhand, then moved in any time it looked like Kasper was either A, going to pop an on-the-run forehand short, or B, turned to a slice backhand when he was stretched? You're right. That's exactly what happened in the matchup between these two here on Thursday. There's your analysis of that match, but we can do a year in review, I suppose. We can do a further autopsy this offseason, but what was Rafa statistically this year, and you know where and when did the drop-off happen? What should we be looking for from Rafa as we approach 2023? Uh, of course, for Kasper Ruud, not much to add on him today. We'll see him compete in championship weekend as he had already clinched his spot in the semifinals. Now, of course, tomorrow it's Tsitsipas versus Rublev for all the marbles. Who's going to play Kasparu? That's going to be really fun. Sequence of matches on Friday and Saturday. Saturday. Saturday, excuse me, to monitor. Um, but yeah, uh, again, we've got those two singles results once again from the ATP Tour Finals, Champagne Quarterfinals, I believe as of 6.36 p.m. Eastern Time when I'm recording this podcast are set. If they're not, it's just the match of the day, Sandgren versus Eubanks to go. So I'll keep an eye on that scoreline. But I want to get into what the quarterfinals look like in an eighth quarterfinal for Ben Shelton at the challenger level this year. Eight. Eight quarterfinals for him. He didn't start playing pro tennis till June 1st. Come on now. Uh, that's, 
that's what a promising young talent looks like, folks. And so I suppose we can get into our typical Ben Shelton diatribe here once again today. But that's your agenda for today's show. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. You all know the deal for all of the latest and greatest products. Go to tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15, which I hope you know what it allows you to do by now. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, we are employing employing is the right word i think we are employing the getting back to your roots corollary here on today's show and i am starting with taylor fritz versus felix ogier aliasim now it is fascinating the action happening in italy that said the final match of all of these group play days has gotten underway at 3 p.m eastern time which has been really nice for me as a tennis fan i have to say if you're in the united states even if you're on the west coast it's noon hawaii it's what is it, a six-hour difference, so 9 a.m.? Not bad from a tennis viewing experience here in the United States. And so I got to watch the entirety of this Taylor Fritz-Felix Ogier Aliasim match comfortably. And, you know, watching this match, it really comes down to three instances where Felix blinked. And for Felix, end of the first set, first set breaker, a couple of sloppy forehands, hand the mini breaks over to Taylor Fritz, and Taylor just continued to find big first serves, whether it was the kick wide, the flat wide on the ad side, just obviously peppering serves into that Felix backhand, but also his ability to change up his spots, go big down the tee on that ad side, go with the slice out wide on the deuce to open up so much court space to attack the Felix backhand with, with his first strike. I mean, Felix was excellent. Felix played really well on serve. And again, there was not a break of serve in this match until the third set. But Felix blinked in that first set breaker. And you could kind of feel Taylor had a couple of break point, or not break point opportunities, excuse me. But Taylor was kind of working his way, had a couple of 15-30 opportunities on Felix towards the end of that first set. Or at least was able to get his way to 30 all. You look ultimately in the match again down the home stretch of that first set for Felix. You know, he's serving for uh, five all, or excuse me, for six all, and you have an early 15 all situation. It was, what game was it? I want to say it was the maybe 3-2 game. That's what it was, where 15-30, he was down early in that first set and was made, managed to dig his way out with a couple of big first serves. But the forehand sprayed on him, and that was a theme of the match. You look for Felix. He hit 18 winners on the forehand side, but also hit 18 unforced errors on that wing throughout the course of the match. It got a little spray happy, particularly, obviously, down the home stretch of the third set. And that's when the second and third blinks happen for Felix, when he gets broken serving at 2-3 in that third set. All Taylor did really well all match long, again, using his length to just get a clean strike on the return of serve, to generate enough depth on that return that Felix didn't just have a simple plus one forehand to put away. Now, there were plenty of times for Felix where, you know, he had 31 unreturned serves and he did hit 18 forehand winners. So he had plenty of success on that forehand wing. But the 18 unforced errors for Felix, a testament to just how difficult Fritz made his life with the return of serve. But look, Felix fought off the first four break points he faced, or maybe it was the first three. I forget what the number was in that 2-3 service game. Hit a couple of big first serves. The only one Taylor's really going to regret. He had a look at a second serve on the first break point. He just missed the return long. But 
Look, Fritz continued to work his way in, and I do think it was actually on the fourth break point where Fritz generates good depth on his return of serve. Felix ultimately goes for the inside in forehand, had a good look at it, but missed it a little bit long because it was a good, not a great look for Felix. There's the break for Fritz, and you know, then Felix, the the bubble kind of burst for Felix at that point, and Taylor does really well, hits a, you know, a really, uh, I think it was three unreturned serves in that 4-2 service game, and or, or maybe it was two unreturned serves and a very easy first strike forehand, and Felix, uh, excuse me, and Fritz holds for 5-2, great depth on his returns in that 5-2 service game, put the pressure on Felix right away, who got a little trigger happy on both the forehand and backhand wing in that game. And for Felix, five winners against 16 unforced errors. Again, it was the pressure Taylor Fritz put him under that ultimately afforded Fritz the 7-6-6, 7-6-2 win. And look, for Fritz, it was a very measured performance. He hit 23 winners against 22 unforced errors, 7 of 12 at the net. So it's not as though he was volleying particularly well, but he won 88% of his first serve points, 71% of his second serve points. And, you know, you look for Taylor throughout the course of the match. He fights off all three break points that he faced. All three of those break points came in set number two, which, of course, was ultimately the set Felix won. But Fritz wasn't, didn't face a break point chance in the deciding set. Seemed to always be able to come up with the big first forehand and... How frequently on this show have I questioned Taylor's movement, his ability in the outer thirds? He does not have the most fluid hips. That said, with the depth he was generating on his return of serve, yes, he had to hit the on-the-run forehand, but when he has time on his run on-the-run forehand, his ability to get outside of the ball and generate not only depth but angle on his on-the-run forehand it's an absolute nightmare to deal with, and obviously the backhand is incredibly smooth. You would kill to have his shoulder and his service motion with how easy it is. Again, structurally, the three most important things, serve, forehand, backhand, as I think I said earlier this week, Taylor Fritz has never had a problem with. It's always been the movement and the volleys. The volleys are still a work in progress. I think it was in... I forget when it was. Maybe it was in that second set he had. Maybe it was in the game where he faced the break points. Yeah, where he flopped the easy overhead. It was in that game, as a matter of fact. And you look for Taylor, you know, 4-2 up in the second set breaker, has the mini break lead. He double faults to give that mini break back to Felix for uh, for all, uh, excuse me, for four, three, four. And from there, Felix just kind of caught a little bit of momentum, started to hit the serve a little bit bigger, found a couple of big forehands and was able to generate good depth on a, on a big return. But look, Fritz kept the pressure on Felix throughout the course of this match. And for Fritz, the depth he can generate on his backhand, but maybe even more importantly, the angle he can generate it to really pin Felix on the backhand side of that ad corner or backhand corner, excuse me, of that ad side, Fritz played a brilliant match tactically. He was patient. That said, whenever he had an opportunity to turn on a first ball, he did. He kept Felix under pressure with the depth he was consistently generating. Look, it's just real for Taylor Fritz at this point. Again, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You look for Taylor to have reached the semifinal round. And yeah, he got in because Carlos Alcaraz pulled out. But for him to make the most of this opportunity, beat Rafa, beat Felix, you look for Fritz now overall here on the 2022 season. He's 45-20 and 20 overall this year. He's winning 70% of his matches. You look for him now. He's got six 
top 10 wins overall on the year, 10 top 10 wins against the top 20. Now, a bunch of people didn't have the chance to play this week, but you look at that 10 uh, top 20 wins overall, that would tie him for eighth most on the ATP Tour this season, which sounds about right as he's an ATP Tour Finals participant. Those six top 10 wins uh, would put him inside the top eight in terms of top 10 wins overall on the season. And look, I mentioned it before, as good as Fritz was on the serve, it was the consistent depth he generated on the return that ultimately broke Felix and caused Felix to have the glitch at the end of the third set. And you look for Taylor Fritz. I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. It's one of just five players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. It's him, Zverev, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev. It's a really nice list for Taylor Fritz. You know, the, the other four, people would question Zverev, maybe Medvedev now as well, but Djokovic and Alcaraz are unequivocally tier one. I think a lot of people would put Medvedev on that list. I think a lot of people would put a healthy Zverev, if not tier one, tier one and a half. You know he's going to get to the final stages, but you think he's never going to win it which kind of is the definition of tier two. But there's just a degree of certainty, perhaps more with Sphere, where you're like, no, he's definitely going to get to the quarterfinals. It's at that point, maybe he wins two matches, but who knows what happens from there. The point is, Taylor Fritz is just in the conversation. And you look for him this season. Again, the players he's now beaten to get wins over Felix, Nadal, twice, Rublev, Tiafo, Kyrgios, Nori, RBA even, those are the peers. Those are the players he needs to be beating moving forward. And for him to win in Indian Wells, for him to make the semifinals here, to make for him to make quarterfinals at Wimbledon, his first slam quarterfinal as well this season. A lot of big firsts for Taylor Fritz. And again, you know who's going to see this? Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, who both had really good years but aren't in the semifinals of the ATP Tour Finals. You know, this will be motivating because they've been competing with Taylor Fritz now for over a decade. You know, you know players like Opelka is itching to get healthy, hopefully back on court. And then Nakashima, Brooksby, Korda, that next trio, no disrespect to you, Max Cressy, um, they're in the weights. They say, okay, if, if Taylor can do it, you know, I've had the same success as Taylor has since I was his age. Why can't I do it now as well? And it's just a culture of success that is starting to build. And again, when you have nine guys inside the top 50, Fritz, Tiafo, Paul, Cressy, Korda, Opelka, Isner, Nakashima, Brooksby, it's a really fun nine. It's a really young nine as well. Again, all of them but Isner, born 1996 or later. I think even maybe 1998 or later because – or is Cressy a 97 uh, – 97, excuse me, or later because I know Paul Fritz, them, are all 97s. You know, again, January 1st, 2030, no one in that group will be older than 30. Uh, excuse me. No one in that group will be older than 32. They will all still be at the tail ends of their prime by the end of this decade. That's a really – it's time for us to get back excited about the groups. In fact, you know what? I'm putting it in the November podcast, licks, folks. Those of you who have truly been listening since the beginning, they remember the Next Gen ATP American series we did back in 2017. Maybe that's what we're going to do here this offseason. Get back to the Americans, offer an update, look at what they've done, the body of work, what do they need to work on, what is our thoughts, uh, what are our thoughts, excuse me, because I'll have to have some guests on their ceilings moving forward. But for Taylor Fritz, I mean, again, it's no lower than tier three. 
He's going to be at least a top 25 guy, you feel like, for the rest of this decade, if healthy. And again, that ceiling we're starting to see, top of tier two. Is it tier one yet? He still can't volley, and you look for him against seven of 12 at, in the match at the vo- uh, in volleying with how well he hits his first serve. If he can just win even more free points behind that first serve, uh, boy, would that be exceptional. But again, it's been a really good year for Taylor Fritz and a fantastic year for American men's tennis. This is sort of the feather in the cap that is just a nice sign-off to what has been an outstanding 2022 season. That said, speaking of sign-offs, one final thought, I suppose, on Felix. I mean, what a year for the young Canadian. 22 years old, he earned 57 wins this season. He goes 57 and 26. That's third most behind uh, Tsitsipas and I believe Alcaraz and I think Casper uh, Root, excuse me. Oh, no, he's still behind. So, yeah, it goes Alcaraz, Felix tied for second, excuse me, behind only Tsitsipas, who is the only player in the 60-win club here this season. But, I mean, you look for Felix. He got the big monkey off of his back, which, of course, was the no titles, was the 0-8 in finals. Well, he wins the title in Florence. He wins the title in Antwerp. He wins the title in Basel. All back to back to back. Obviously, won Rotterdam and then made the final in Marseille earlier in the season as well. Quarterfinals in Australia. Second week, but five sets against Rafa at the French Open. Now, Wimbledon, U.S. Open results, they were disappointing. But for him to make his first tour finals at age 22, to finish the year top 10, to be at a career high of number six. He's the guy you circle as he could be, and I have him in tier one moving forward, but he could define, you know, he could match Gil Gross's definition of tier one by next season, where he's just unequivocally one of those guys because when his forehand, his serve are working, again, it's going to be four all, five all in the set. And the question is, can he get that break opportunity? Now, you look for Felix here this season, maybe the big number, the break percentage, 21.1%. It's 0.8 above his career average and uh, 0.1% off his career high. It's still below the average tour for top 50 player, which is 22.9%, but it's a lot better for Felix. And if he even becomes 25th in break percentage, he's top 10 in hold percentage this year, fifth consecutive season of growth at 86.3%. So winning 77.1% of his first serves, that's a top 10 number as well. He's got the elite weapons and the backhand return got better. He became more fluid as an athlete. The weapons became even more efficient How can you not be happy with Felix's 2022 season? And some of that was, of course, salvaged by the end of the year. But guess what? It's now November 17th, and we've gotten to see the full 11 months. And you're telling the full 11th month story, and you have to be happy with it, particularly to see a young player peaking at the end of the season. You feel like that could bode very well for him moving forward. With that said, shout out to Taylor Fritz. He'll take on Novak Djokovic. He said it himself in the post-match press conference. He is going to have to keep this service performance up. He is going to have to serve his absolute best. Of course, these courts have been very conducive to strong serving performances. So maybe Taylor Fritz does have himself at least a shot in that semifinal match, of course. Joining him in the semifinal round will be Casper Now, Casper will not come in undefeated as Casper got knocked off today by Rafael Nadal. Rafa, a 5-5 five five victory over Rude. And you look for Rafa, it starts with the serve today. 30 of his 60 serves went unreturned. 
it's a really good starting point and speaks to, again, the conducive to big serving nature of these conditions in Turin, Rafa, which, by the way, indoor hardcourt, and as Gil Gross would always point it out, also at elevation. Yeah, it's going to be a good week for the big server. You look for Rafa, 37 winners against just 16 unforced errors, 16 aces. 16 aces for Rafael Nadal, just the one double fault. Of course, he had a 21 to 15 winner to unforced error ratio from the ground, 10 of 14 at the net. But I don't know if that's true. It felt like he had more than 10 where maybe they were just mid-court volleys where you knew what you were going to see from Rafa. As I said in the intro, not a ton of analysis to do from this match. Rafa hits his forehand cross court so viciously that Casper either turns to the slice, which is the kiss of death against Rafa because you give him the one thing you can't give to Rafael Nadal, which is time, or he leaves a backhand a little bit short that Rafa can now redirect down the line. Now Casper's got to hit an on-the-run forehand. Rafa's either going to get a first forehand approach, be at the net, or take a backhand down the line. I mean, all the patterns you expected from Rafa, he executed flawlessly in today's match. Now, on the flip side for Casper, he played pretty well. He had breakpoint chances to go up 5-4 in that first set before Rafa was able to fight him off with a good first serve, good first forehand combination. You know, Casper blinked, played a really bad service game at 5-6 in the first where he threw in a couple of unforced errors, threw in a couple of second serves. Rafa got clean looks on them. He took the uh, was the aggressive player from the start of the point. You know, gets broken to end the first set. And then in the second set, there were no breakpoint chances until the end of that first set. Uh, excuse me, until the end of the set when Rafa opens up that 15-40 lead. And so, again, Casper kept pace. He made 76% of his first serves, won 72% of his first serve points. Now, Rafa, 39 of 42 on the first serve. He dropped just three points behind that first serve, 93%. Come on now. That's typically going to win you a match, as we alluded to earlier. 50% unreturned serves in today's battle. But Casper kept pace, and I actually thought Casper did a really good job of asserting himself with his first strike in particular, just getting Rafa stretched into the outer third, forcing Rafa to have to hit a slice with the first, uh, following his first strike. And look, I've said it before, Casper's the mortal version of Rafa, much like with Rafa, you can't give Casper root time because now he's got a forehand and now you have no idea where he's going to go. And, you know, again, Casper played well. Rafa did better, you know, Rafa won 9 of 16 second serve, uh, second serve return points. A couple of them came in the two games Kasparud was broken. That's the difference in this match. That's how thin the margins are at these ATP Tour finals. And I tweeted this out earlier, but it does feel like, and I talked about this with Nate, so I'll just say it quickly here. There's that there's a heightened degree of importance to these ATP Tour finals because so many of these players are 26 years old or younger. And we're trying to establish, hey, I'm the guy. No, I'm the guy. Well, I'm in the mix. No, you're not in the mix. No, I am in the mix. And we're seeing that all unfold in real time. And certainly, you know, I think part B, you look for it, and I've said this before, that no one had 10 top 10 wins coming into these ATP Tour Finals, A, speaks to these guys because there's been so much flipping and flopping inside and out of the top 10. Not everyone who's been in this field has been top 10 all season. And, you know, as such, 
There haven't been a lot of top 10 showdowns in the biggest of the big, I mean, you know, again, in the quarterfinals, semifinal. Yeah, we've gotten plenty of really good finals this season, but it's fun to see these guys do battle. It feels like this was necessary. And certainly the, again, intensity of the action, the closeness of the results. We've seen how many tiebreakers have we had at this ATP Tour Finals event so far. We've had four, six, seven breakers so far. Now eight, nine with Felix and Fritz here today. Um, Yeah, it was five and five. So nine breakers so far through what? Two, four, six, eight, ten matches. It's pretty darn good. Nine breakers through ten matches. We're getting usually at least one per match, and if not, it's five and five like it was today against Rafa and Rude. Really good stuff uh, so far at these ATP Tour Finals. That said, just to put the finishing bow on the Rafa season, I mean, 39 and 8 overall. He won 83% of his matches. That's above his career average, and you look for him statistically. Here's what I'll say. It was a down season statistically. 83.7% hold percentage, that's 2% below his career average. 28.6 break percentage, that's 4.7% below his career average. Now, I would point out he went 13-5 against top 20 opponents this year. That's pretty darn good. You look for him against the top 10, 8-3 overall. I mean, the fact that he was tied for third in terms of most top 10 wins going into this week, and he's not, or he had seven going into this week, so he got the eighth, but still he was tied for third going into the week and had play, hasn't played more than you know 50 matches, speaks to how good Rafa was to start the season. And I think that's the big thing uh, to look at when you're breaking down the splits from Rafa's year. And, you know, again, what he was able to do overall through the first half of the season statistically. What did Rafa look like? I'm glad all of you asked. You look for Rafa through the first half of the season when he was 30-3. and three. He was holding 84.8% of the time. That is 0.9% below his career average. He was breaking serve 30.3% of the time. That's 3% below his career average. Even the best of Rafa this year felt a little bit more attackable. Certainly, you know, Medvedev probably should have beaten him. He didn't, but he probably should have beaten him in the Australian Open final. You know, certainly you look, Fritz did get him. At Indian Wells, although, of course, Rafa was injured. Djokovic served for the fourth set at Roland Garros. Virev, in my opinion, played better than Rafa in the Roland Garros semifinals. Now, he demolished Kaspar Ruud, but, you know, we're a Djokovic hold or a Medvedev break in the third set away from a very different script from Rafael Nadal. And to say he looked a little bit more vulnerable this season, now, when he was in form, when he was serving his best, when he was healthy, of course, you know, even 90% or 80% of peak Rafael Nadal is still a top five player in the world. We know that. He was able to hit that peak at times in matches in critical stages throughout the course of this year. That said, there was certainly some drop off from Rafa this year. And I know a lot of that happened post French Open, but even in that 30 and three stretch again, statistically, he was not the same player he was in his prime. And guess what? At 36 years old, I don't think anyone expects him to be that same player and that he was even within a percentage point in, in from a serving perspective. And that 30.3 break percentage may be 3% below his prime, but it's still a top two number or top five number, excuse me, on the ATP tour. That speaks to the fact that even 20% worse Rafa is still one of the 
three best players on the ATP Tour. We learned that this season. Of course we did. That said, the gap between him and everyone else does feel a little bit smaller, if that makes sense, particularly just, again, given can he stay healthy now for 10-plus months? I don't think the answer to that question has been yes in a while, but certainly that felt heightened by his ending this season. That said, on the flip side, Casper Ruud, I got no qualms. You lost a match. You get to play the semifinals. You get a day of rest. You're into the semifinals for the second straight year. I got nothing to add on Casper. You even look as a record against lefties. Five and two in 2020, six and one last year. He's nine and five against lefties this season and, you know, has wins on hard courts against Cam Norrie, against, I guess that's really the, the only significant one on hard court, Alex Molchan, I guess, but did lose to Shelton, lost to Nishioka, lost to Rafa now as well. That's it. He beat Cam Norrie earlier in the season on hard courts. And again, 9-5 and five this year. And what are those numbers added together? Let's see. 20-8 and eight against lefties since the start of 2020. The best lefties can expose his backhand, but you better be the best. And you better do something exceptional. Otherwise, again, you're going... And it better be a quick court as well. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe. More than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. That's your look at the ATP Finals on Thursday. Let's end today's podcast once again with a look at champagne. I won't do the full Ben Shelton spiel, but I mean, come on now. Ben Shelton, you look at it, a ridiculous eighth challenger quarterfinal for the 20-year-old. Again, did not play any tennis before the month of June. Now, eight challenger quarterfinals. You look for Ben in the live rankings, up to number 109, or I suppose back up to number 109 after reaching 108 to start the week. But he wins the event. He's top 100, and he won't need the Australian Open wild card. He'll win a third straight uh, challenger, which just does not happen where your player wins three consecutive weeks on the challenger tour very frequently. I mean, you look for Ben today, a really nice win, 4-4 four and four over ITA All-American champ, redshirt freshman Ethan Quinn. Quinn did well to keep pace, but Shelton was just a little bit better at everything. Serve had a little bit more sting to it. More depth generated on the Ben Shelton backhand, was a little bit better at the improvisational skills, was a little bit better closing the net as well. I mean, you look for Ben now overall this year. I know I've mentioned this record before, but it's always laughable to me. Ben Shelton, 37 and 11. He's doing what Brooksby did last year. He's winning 77% of his challenger matches. And again, you look for him now in eighth challenger quarterfinal since the start of June. It's why he's on the precipice of becoming a top 100 player. And he's holding 87.9% of the time this season. He's, you know, that's ridiculous. That's top five number. Obviously, you'd have to adjust for level of competition. He's played a lot of indoor hardcore tennis this year as well, but still, that's laughably exceptional. And we saw what happened when Eubanks, Rinder, Kanesh all did that, obviously, at the start of 2020, 2021. They're now top 50 players uh, behind that. Their serves feels like Ben's already to do that at age 20. Of course, next up for Ben Shelton, he'll take on uh, Pranesh Gunaswaran. Gunaswaran, uh, an impressive win over big hitting Sebastian Fanislow, 7 5 in the third. Shelton, 87. 
43.6% favorite in that match, 45.5% favorite now to win the event. Now, Chris Eubanks' match against Tennis Sandgren has not finished during this. And, you know, for the record, they're playing as we're recording. You look right now at that challenger final in Champaign. Battle between the two of them uh, currently underway again right now. Eubanks 6-4 up a break, 2-1 in the second set up. If he advances, I assume he'll have about a 25% chance of winning the event. But we might get Eubanks Shelton for a third consecutive week. That would be insane. And you look for Chris Eubanks right now, 26 years old, currently at 129 in the rankings. He wins the event this week. He'll be up to a new career high of number 113. 26 years old, really does not have a ton of points to defend to start next season. I know I mentioned this earlier in the week, but you look for Chris now, who, by the way, career high, 41 wins overall this season. He won an Australian Open qualifying match. He won a Dallas qualifying match. He qualified in Doha. He won two qualifying matches in a first round at Indian Wells, a win at the Phoenix Challenger, and a single Miami qualifying win. So that's a total of what? Four, five, six, seven, eight total wins, and all but two of them came in qualifying. That is nothing for Chris Eubanks to defend through the first three months of the season when you do have a ton of hard court tennis where, again, you feel like the top 100 is in play for Chris. And things get a little complicated because he's done a ton of winning in the back half of this season. But the op- you know, the opening, the pathway is very much there for Chris Eubanks. And I'll tell you what, he wins the title here this week. Now you're top 112. Maybe you go play a Futures or you go do something crazy here to end the season to try and just make one more top 100 push because that Australian Open main draw is a call-in for Chris Eubanks, who again up a set and a break right now on Tennis Sandgren. The other results, really good win for Alex Vukic, playing on home soil as the former University of Illinois All-American, 4-2 win for him over Patrick Kipson. Alex Kovacevic defending home turf as well, the former Illinois All-American, three-set win over Escobedo to set up a match with Stevie Johnson. Stevie, a 68.8% favorite, but I don't know. Stevie's been pushed to three sets in his first two matches. See, it's interesting because Stevie currently sitting at 110. He wins the challenger this week. He's up to number 96. That gets you into the main draw of Australia. This is actually a huge week for Steve Johnson as well. So you know what? I'm not counting anyone out of that match, although for what it's worth, Kova up to a new career high 165 in making the uh, quarterfinals here this week. Other quarterfinalists, Evan Zhu, uh, who will await the winner of Sandgren Eubanks, a very big win for the former UCLA standout. Now 24 years old, currently sitting at a career high, is Zhu as he, uh, by making the quarterfinals here in Champaign, is he making his top 300 debut? He is up to number 291, is Zhu. Spent a lot of time uh, at the futures level to start the season has played a ton of challenger level action to end the year and you know made a semifinal in Winnipeg now into a quarterfinal here in Champaign as well good stuff from the 24 year old and again sets up what should be a very fun weekend in Champaign of championship action Shelton uh, versus Gunaswaran you can watch Shelton play anyone. It's very, very much must-see TV. Kovacevic versus Stevie is really fun. Vukic taking on Nicholas Alvarez. Verona, big hitters. That should be fun. You, uh, Eubanks or Sangren versus Jew. Plenty of college tennis ties. Just, folks, 
give us one more weekend, one more weekend of tuning in to everything happening in the pro tennis world as you won't want to miss out on the action. Of course, we will be back tomorrow and throughout the course of the weekend as well to recap it all. Of course, shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a fascinating job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. If you've missed any of it, search our podcasts, mini break podcasts, great shot podcasts, cracked interviews podcasts. You don't want to miss some of the players and coaches we're talking to over there of course a shout out as well to our friends at tennis point for their support of this show and remember tennis-point.com use the promo code cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products with that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westa for our friends at tennis point and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone